0: Hello, welcome. We're going to be talking about the Pooch MPI toolkit today, your path to using high-performance computing within Mathematica. This, is, this toolkit is the result of a collaboration between Dowager Research and Advanced Cluster Systems, led by myself, Dean Dowger, and my partners, V. Tannenbaum, of ACS. And so this is a video that we're putting together that's based on a presentation that we did at the Wolfram Technology Conference in Champaign, Illinois, er- earlier this month. Let me give you an idea of what my background is. Is that uh, I was one of the co-inventors of the first Mac cluster that uh, first established in 1998 over at UCLA in the physics department. And so this was back in the day where the beige G3 and OS8 were the vanguards of of, of, per, of personal computing, and even the, the Bondi Blue iMac was new. Uh, as, as a result of uh, our work over at UCLA, uh, we generated uh, such a, such publicity that even Apple lent to raising uh, awareness about what we had done that flew one of my colleagues, Victor Desick, um, over to San Francisco to be able to do a, a photo shoot um, with a surrounded by a Bondi Blue IMAX, as you can see in the picture here. And then, but uh, we've built on this over the years to be able to make use of G4s and then later G5s, and then our latest hardware is the Dawson Cluster 256 uh, dual processor uh, X what data research does is that it specializes in high performance scientific and cluster computing Uh, we provide both software and consulting services on the software side we we provide a plug-and-play way uh, to be able to build your own supercomputer compatible clusters and we provide the pooch application to do that in a lot of a number of tutorials and also other software on visualization and simulation of uh, of scientific and physical phenomenon we provide consulting services also in optimization and parallelization and vectorization, basically to be able to get your code faster, to be able to uh, get your code to perform faster, or to be able to form larger problems in the same amount of time. But uh, our work is also uh, it's also uh, garnered enough recognition that we were actually interviewed on national television, um, as you can see, uh, hosted by William Shatner, uh, and also, as also interviewed by Doug Llewellyn, to be able to. Um, to be able to tell about the kind of the kind of great work that we're doing. so why parallel computing? Basically, parallel computing was, is for problems that are simply too large to solve on just one computer. Either it takes too much time, uh, let's say that your problem is simply is taking weeks to do and you want, and you need it done in days instead, or it's a problem that requires more memory that literally some problems uh, that I'm aware of, can exceed the RAM limit um, in in a single-person computer, so that you simply can't do certain problems because the problem size is simply too big. It simply won't fit within one box. And so these are reasons to be able to use parallel computing. These are the kinds of problems that will be appropriate for it. But the other thing that's come about in in, in general in the supercomputing industry um, is that the API, the the, the programming interface, has become standardized on MPI, uh, otherwise known as the Message Passing Interface. This was a standard that was established in 1994, and within a decade, it became the dominant software interface at all the supercomputers. That You know, it's virtually the de facto standard uh, at, say, NCSC or the San Diego Supercomputing Center or or other supercomputing centers around the world. This enabled uh, researchers uh, to be able to write code uh, that was portable in Fortran and C, um, but all because all of them used the MPI standard because they were supported on, on all the major systems. But, uh, but as a result, this also made that in clusters that the MPI also has become the dominant standard following uh, the lead of the supercomputing centers. So what we've done is for the Pooch MPI toolkit is to, cr- is to create a way to use MPI within the mathematical environment. It, it, if we provide an API that allows you to do uh, sends and receives to be, able to, to be able to send mes- basic messages from one kernel to another. So basically, we're starting up many, many kernels, many Mathematica kernels, and then setting up the, the, the communications network in between them that enables you to have full message passing um, as required by MPI. So there are two. The toolkit is divided into a low-level part of the API and a high-level part. The low-level part closely follows the MPI standard. You have the basic MPI calls like MPI send and receive, asynchronous MPI calls that allows you to, to post a send or receive, that is, you say that this, um, this expression for MathMag is going to be sent from one node to another, and uh, but allows the kernel to continue to do other work while this messaging is going on. And then also collective calls that allow you to, to involve many nodes at once, many kernels at once, in a collective communications pattern. Simple examples like a broadcast where one node, actually any, any kernel or any node or any processor um, of the cluster can send to, any, to all the others, or a gatherer where one is collecting from all the others, or an MPI all-to-all, which involves all of the kernels talking to all of the other kernels in one communications pattern but we also provide a series of high-level parallel calls for common tasks um, such as Parallel Table which allows you to generate uh, uh, tables in parallel on the, um, on, the on the cluster uh, as well as other parts of the API that provide basic message passing uh, such as Edge Cell that allows you to match up the boundaries between uh, parts of the kernel or Parallel to using FFT On a fast Fourier transform on the entire cluster or other kinds of element management on the cluster. And then we also provide basic parallel IO that allows you to save and and load data sets on the cluster and we also provide a way to automatically locate and configure all the kernels and, and, and I'll do all that automatically using software that we provide called the Pooch application um, that allows an automatic way to be able to discover nodes on the cluster and then discover where the kernels are on the cluster and make use of them and combine them together to be able to do um, parallel computing problems. And this can be enabled um, from either the front end, the Mathematica front end, or from the command line and this, all this builds on any licensed Mathematica, whether it be the licensed Mathematica license manager or network Mathematica or grid Mathematica. It doesn't matter to us what kind of Mathematica license you use. We just make use of the kernels that are there, so we build on grid Mathematica or build on network Mathematica in order to be able to provide this kind of MPI environment within Mathematica. So why MPI instead of grid? That's one of the, one of the questions that's, that's come up. To illustrate this, I wanted to think of someone um, relevant to the mathematical world who started a company, say, Stefan Wolfram, as pictured on the slide here. And so let's say he wanted to start a company. He needs to be able to talk to his employees to be able to ask them to do things and then have the employees talk, to talk back to him to, like, report what happened or to be able to report on sales and so forth. So in order for him to be able to talk to his employees, he buys a cell phone but then he also needs to buy cell phones for all his employees. Well, if you were to implement this implement this communications between the employees and the head of the company, the way that a typical grid implementation would be, uh, you would have a configuration like this, where you have all the communications from all the employees would only be able to talk to the master or the boss. And, And so, if you have this kind of communications pattern, any communications that goes on is only to the boss and then the boss back out to, to all the other employees and you would have a very unhappy boss because because of all this consternation, all this bottleneck all this uh, all this um, kind of conflict right at 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 the boss's cell phone and you wouldn't have a very well running company so our approach is the MPI approach where instead you have set up a communications pattern between all, a communications routes between all of the employees. So this allows any employee to be able to call any other employee so that you don't have this bottleneck, you don't have this congestion over at, um, on the boss's cell phone. You have communications between all the possible employees uh, within, uh, within the company. So this is the kind of model that we, uh, that, that we espouse that this is the kind of model that uh, we uh, create using Mathematica kernels in MPI. Just giving an introduction of what it means to code in MPI, to be able to write uh, algorithms within MPI, is that basically this is code that, that coordinates parallel work using messages. You have n tasks or virtual, pro- or, or virtual processors all running at the same time and you label them from 0 through n-1, and so they use this identification data, the 0 through n minus 1 to be able to identify what parts of the problem that uh, they're going to work on. So if let's say you have a four processors and uh, zero, one, two, th- 0, 1, 2, 3, and you have 100 parts, well, you assign, say, the 1 through 125 parts to processor 0 or, or 20, 26 through 50 to processor number 1 and so forth. And so you can use this to be able to identify programmatically uh, what part of the problem each processor is going to work on. And so then the, the tasks or the, the, these processors, or in the case of Mathematica, these kernels can talk to each other and talk amongst themselves to be able to organize how they're going to uh, handle their data and do their work. And then any group of tasks can communicate. So you can have simple sends or receives or collective calls like broadcast, gather, reduce or do transposes of data in between um, all, the, all the kernels. And so, and also synchronization is not required. Uh, you don't have to have lockstep synchronization in between all the kernels, but it is implied by the messaging that if there is a dependency of a message from one kernel to the other, then there will be a synchronization to that extent. But there's nothing that has to be lockstep in between the different parts of the cluster in order to operate. So, to give you a couple ideas of, to give you an idea of what. Uh, kinds of problems and how you would approach parallelization of um, classic types of problems. Let's first consider the game of life. This is an example of cellular autonomy. This is something that is very well known within the Mathematica and, and the Wolfram universe. Um, is it, it's an example where you have one cell that evolves uh, based on the pattern of cells around it. By recognizing the fact that there's this interdependency in between different parts of the problem, you can recognize that that's that's the kind of communication that's inherently going on in this problem, is that this is a this allows you to recognize that really actually from one time step to the next time step in the game of life, that one cell is influencing only its neighboring cell and no other. So that's the extent of the communication as, as shown by the orange arrows in, in the slide, and so if we take this problem and say cut it up into three different parts, we can say we can see that there's a certain amount of messages that are crossing the, from one part of the problem from one partition over the edge into the other and back and forth. And we can see that there's a lot of communication that goes on within a partition. So we can handle the communication within the partition the same way we did, we did before, but for the communication going on from partition to partition that translates into a message from one partition to the other. And so by recognizing that we can take all the data from one edge of the problem space and bin it up together and send that message from uh, one edge of the problem space to the other and so this fills in these regions that we call in in parallel computing guard cells that allows you to do the computation part of the problem as if uh, there was no communication going on and then have a whole separate separate subroutine to be able to actually do the communication to be able to maintain these edge cells or guard cells uh, that uh, represent, the da- represent copies of the data from your neighboring partition. So we can apply this to other kinds of problems, such as, say, a plasma simulation. This is something that has been uh, gone over in the, in the literature quite a bit, most recently in the computational physics communications by my colleagues Victor Desic and Charles Norton um, of UCLA and JPL correspondingly. In a plasma is that you have uh, many charged particles all interacting with each other uh, through um, electrostatics or electromagnetics, depending on the the question that you want to answer and so if you want to do, look at message passing, well you need to look at what's what 's the communication that 's going on that 's inherent in this problem Well, if you consider the particle movement, all these particles are all moving and, and pushing on each other. if you can think of the particle movement uh, as if you wanted to put this on a computer, that particle movement represents a certain kind of communications, a ser- corresponds to a certain kind of communications going on in the computer, in the cluster. So when you take this problem and say partition it into uh, say three different parts, so you can recognize that well, the particles that are moving within one partition, well, we can do the same thing as if it was a single processor, but for everything that's crossing over from partition to partition, well, we're gonna have to use message, message passing. And so when we pull this apart, we can recognize that, well, there are certain particles that will jump from one to the other. And so what you can actually do when you actually implement this is that you consider the particles, okay, here's a whole bunch of particles that are now to my that are supposed to go to my right neighbor, and so, and then there are a whole bunch of particles that come from my right neighbor, uh, and so, and then the same thing for the left neighbor is that I, I send a whole bunch of, I determine what particles are, belong to my left neighbor, and then my left neighbor provides me particles that now belong to me. And so this is how you can organize uh, a problem like this that has a lot of complex interactions, but you can isolate it down, to, you can isolate where the message passing is really important. So. Those are examples of what I would call nearest neighbor message passing. But there are a whole variety of message passing patterns that are supported using MPI. Of course, this includes the master-slave model where one is talking to many or time-reverse that and one is gathering from many. Or you can have, say, an all-to-all communications pattern where all are sending to all the others. This is important, uh, this is vital to be able to do, say, a Fourier transform. And a Fourier transform, what that comes down to is basically a transpose operation on the entire array of cells that are distributed across the cluster. And so in order to be able to manipulate that, in order to be able to accomplish this communication, you have to uh, send messages from every node to all the others, in, but in a pattern of, of as if you transposed a matrix. Or you can have say a tree pattern, where in this case it's a binary tree, where one is setting to a pair and each one is setting to a pair and so forth, or some irregular pattern, or any combination of these kinds of patterns are possible all using MPI. So MPI really provides a lot of flexibility, and this is, this has been proven by how many different kinds of problems have been have been implemented using MPI on this on supercomputers. So we're taking that we're recognizing that same flexibility that has been expressed on admin supercomputers and uh, and representing that or and applying that within the Mathematica environment as well. So to give you an idea of what this looks like, I'd like to uh, give you a demonstration. What I can do is that I'm going to open up uh, Mathematica and uh, let's say open up a notebook. And what I'm going to use is the Pooch application to be able to discover the other nodes. So just to give an idea of what this looks like, is that I can use uh, the Pooch application, select nodes to be able to discover other nodes um, elsewhere in the cluster. Right now, I'm just using uh, my uh, laptop right here, but I'm connected through a network connection over into the ACS cluster. And so we can see a whole bunch of serves uh, over there. Um, and look at their IP addresses and what their abilities are. But uh, we do have a Mathematica license on there, so uh, let's see if we can make use of that. So we've set up actually uh, actually something in the kernel to be able to do this uh, that we have what we call um, an item called, called MathPooch that allows you to uh, essentially uh, control all these other nodes uh, from the front end. So that's the kind of configuration that we do. So if I look at my uh, notebook here, what I'm going to do is just to be able to start a basic expression, just, just the variable high. What, it, what it's going to do is actually, if you can see in the background, is that it's, uh, Pooch is launching uh, the, the toolkit out onto the other nodes in the cluster. The other nodes out there will eventually discover uh, the uh, kernels that are available over on the XSERVs. And then, and then set up the, set up the order n squared communications pattern first over TCP IP and then to be able to establish that within the kernel as well. And so you can see that uh, in the lower right there's a MAC MPI monitor window that is showing the status of communications. Red means it has, it's waiting on a receive from all the other messages. Um, and correspondingly the other ones are all also waiting on this information as well. So you can see it started up, but for the first, um, one of my first expressions that I'll, that I'll do is that I'll look at idproc and nproc. These are two global constants that tell me the this kernel's id and, and as well as the number of processors, the id of this processor and the number of processors in total on the cluster. And I can see that zero, zero, and eight. Zero is refers to the front end, but then there are there are seven other kernels uh, out there running as well. So if I want to see what the answers are from the other kernels, what I can do is an MPI gather on this same expression. So it's going to send this expression out over there, out over to the other kernels, evaluate them there, and then collect them back in a linear array. And so we can see 0, 8, 1, 8, 2, 8, 3, 8, and so forth. So we can see that each one of them are giving different answers. And so we can make use of this ID product to be able to, to be able to identify or to be able to create different initial data. If I have an ex- if I have an expression like this, let's say, so that uh, A of, uh, say, take pi and multiply it by 1 plus idproc. So this allows me to, uh, say, um, when idproc is 0, then it will be 1 pi, and then idproc is 1, then it's 2 pi, and so forth. And give me 222 digits of pi in each one of these cases. And then I have an MPI gather call that will, get, that will gather all that into D, uh, the, the, the variable D. And so what I can see is that, well, the answer for A on just this one was just pi. But if I look at d on, on each one of these, uh, that will give me, say, you know 1pi, 2pi, 3pi, 4pi, and so forth, um, all the way up to, say, 25.13 and so forth. And so those are the results on each one of those. This kind of feature allows me to do more complicated things. Um, so let's establish, say, a function, where, um, a function of x where uh, it'll return x digits of pi. So if I say f of 13 or something, like that, it'll return 13 digits of pi. So I, we have another high-level call that allows that's called parallel function to list that evaluates one through one hundred of each one of these and collects them to processor number zero. So if I evaluate this one uh, it'll go through and create, I, I can see that it started out with three point and then three point one, three point one four, all the way up to a hundred bits of a pi. And so it actually cut up, even though a uh, hundred doesn't divide perfectly evenly into uh, into eight processors, it figured out uh, how to partition a 100 parts of the problem into on all these eight processors, and then collect them all here, so, so I can see the answer in this case. Or I can do this with more complicated functions, and we have um, other basic functions such as let's say let's say I establish a like a variable a, say two four five six seven plus eight times id proc. So this is something that will change, uh, that will be a different answer on each one of the processors out there. So in this, so processor one gets 10, 12, 13, 14, 15, and so forth, um, higher and higher numbers all the way to the uh, the last processor. So I can do something like what we call a uh, high level function called an edge cell. That what it does is that it performs this copying of the guard cell from my neighbor uh, to my guard cell, and and then provides also my, the edge of my space into the guard cell of my neighbor as well. So what I can see is that well, it gave me it gave it replaced the 2 with a 62 and a 7 with the with 12 in, in, on, on my part of the space. But if I want to see what's going on on the other parts of the problem space, I can do an MPI gatherer on A and I can see that instead that the uh, for example my 6 got copied into the guard cell on on, my, on the neighbor to my right and then my 4 got copied into the last uh, guard cell on the last processor and then I can see corresponding that uh, my 12 came from my neighbor to my right then my neighbor provided a 14 over into the guard cell on, on my neighbor's right and so forth th- throughout the problem space. So you can see that this is implementing this kind of guard cell in basically just one, one call, one call within the Mathematica environment. So, and let's say I want to do something more complicated, like I want to, if I, I can do this with, say, graphics, let's say I want to have, like, a large uh, suite of graphics. Um, so I'm going to load the, the graphics animation library and let's say establish a, a function B that um, or a, 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 an expression B that will have a parallel table of eight different graphics. And so what I can do is that I can see all these these eight different graphics in say and say a graphics array. And so uh, I can see all the different parts that that, that showed up here. Oh, actually I specified uh, 12 instances um, in that one. so, um, specified in it, that in a 2x6 array and so I can show this as an animation and so let that, let that come up and zoom out a little bit and so once Mathematica interprets uh, the uh, graphics as an animation and I can see that um, that the animation works so this is an animation that was actually generated in a distributed fashion and, like, and then I collected together to be able to see the entire results um, on my machine here. So if I want to do something a little bit different, let's try a parallel life. This is, um, there's a tutorial um, of this parallel life demo on, on the Down to research website and so when I can see, like, let's do a little bit of initialization and what this program right here, this, this next expression that is a math, in Mathematica language uh, how to evaluate life and the, the, the classic common game of life and so what I'm going to do is be able to set up an initial variable that, uh, that the height and width of my space is 360 by 360 and so uh, this is just initializing with, with random data and so the green code, I have it color coded here so that the green code is indicating what we uh, would like to run as a single processor or just using one kernel. And so this is a problem that will actually take a little while. So what it's, it's gonna do is that it first sets up the periodic boundary conditions and then it performs the execute life function to be able to, uh, to, be able to do the actual uh, game of life calculation. And then it's going to plot the array um, as in, in for display here so that we can see, and then time all that to be able to uh, understand what's, to be able to get an idea of how long it takes to be able to run in one processor. So this is something that, that actually takes a little while. So maybe I'll get a drink. So it's still going. Oh, OK, the results are beginning to come in and we can see that it took 58.8 seconds uh, to be able to perform this 360 by 360 array and so just to be able to show that it is indeed the game of life we can we can like sort of zoom in on this so we can see sort of some of the basic life patterns that are in there Um, some of that that are forming in there I mean we could continue to evolve it but you know that's t- going to take another minute to be able to do that so what I'm going to do is is I, here's the blue code that that's, this is starting with the that is going to start with initializations that I've taken the I've initialized it instead of just life width by life height that is 360 by 360 I take life width divided by 8 in this case the number of nproc and basically do a slice instead and so if I take that and 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 compute that and produce the timing. If you notice inside this code that that the only thing that's really different is this edge cell is that it's uh, an edge cells providing the, uh, the means to be able to maintain these guard cells and you can see actually the, the the answer already came back it's about 6.3 seconds just to be able to compute it so but if you notice that I only see the results that are being produced on this processor within this kernel there are other results that are stored on the other one. So, if you were to do this again and again, you wanted to do it this way because you don't need to be able to see the answer after every single time step. Let's say you want to find out what it is after 100 time steps. You do all the computations out there and let the data store out there. But if you finally wanted to, um, to be able to see it, you can do an MPI gather on the data that's there. And so, I'm going to do the calculation again, uh, but do a gather as well so I can see all the different parts of the problem that were being, that are being done. Um, on the other kernels of the cluster, and so I can see that there are eight different parts of the of the uh, life array uh, being produced on each one of the other kernels. And so, if I zoom in on this, what I can see is that I, I've the way I've plotted it. Actually, let me make this a little bit bigger. The way I've plotted this is that I've plotted it so that I can see the partitions in, in between each one of the um, in between each one of the problems. But one thing that I'd point out is if you notice that there's a pattern you can see um, along the the edges of each one of the partitions is that you can see that um, there's a copy of two pixels wide from one partition to the next, and that's being maintained by the edge cell. So that allows you to do the computation in one subroutine, but the edge cell provides all the communication you need to be able to continue to do the problem in parallel and get your ultimate answer. So again, it's producing the game of life in parallel. We provide that on the website, uh, that, uh, that there's a link to that from the uh, Pooch MPI toolkit uh, for Mathematica website. But uh, we also provide another example. This is a plasma code, um, a full electrostatic plasma code, but all within the Mathematica language, and I think this is the first time that that's ever been done. Um, and to give you an idea that this is, the, the green code is the, is a fairly substantial amount of uh, single processor code uh, to be able to just do the plasma. And so, in order, and so, rather than uh, run through the whole thing, um, you can you can download this as well from the website and try this out. Uh, what I'll show you is that this is the, the kind of result that it looks like. Is that the uh, this shows a, a plasma beam within a, a a cold background. So there's a hot beam which is in the center there in the blue against a cold background which is drawn um, in the green in the background there. And um, in the previous one, we when we ran four time steps, it took uh, 37 seconds or so uh, to be able to do four time steps. But if we do this in parallel, well, if we can see that the blue code is the is the parallelized code, and some of the pieces that it comes down to is that there's an MPI all reduce there. Um, there are just a few little pieces here and there, and element manager. That's actually one of the significant ones that manages where all these plasma particles from one partition to the next, and sa- and then and then one of the one of the last. Uh, steps is to um, do MPI reduce on all the data um, out there to be able to put, put, to put it together and draw it in one graphic so that we can see it. So that's the blue code and we can see that from a previous one when we did four time steps it took um, it took uh, 10 seconds instead and this was um, on a six processor case going from 37 to, to, to 10 seconds. And so it's, this is a problem that's much more difficult to parallelize, but it's something that is, is possible to do in Mathematica. So, um, so you can get substantially better performance using an increased number of processors that way. So uh, those examples will be available on the website. And uh, so you can have a look at that your, uh, yourself um, and try that out. OK, so let me uh, go back to uh, the slides. So if you want to uh, find out more information to be able to contact us, uh, this is our contact information uh, for myself as well as v. Tannenbaum, um, as well as via uh, But we, you can link to that from the Dadibresearch or the ACS-grid.com website and and find out and, and find out more information about the uh, toolkit for Mathematica and Pooch MPI. And if you want more information, we also provide a reference library. that there's the Mathematica website, uh, the Pooch MPI for Mathematica website, Dr.Presearch.com slash pooch slash Mathematica, as well as the Advanced Cluster Systems website, acs-grid.com. So both websites will will give you information about about our our new toolkit within Mathematica for high-performance computing. We also provide a lot of tutorials on writing parallel code dataresearch.com slash pooch tutorials html uh, that provide you the the plasma example I showed you as well as the parallel life example and a number of other tutorials on basic examples both in Fortran and C and then now uh, we can do the same in Mathematica And also we provide uh, various videos, including how we've done this kind of cluster on national television, uh, interviewed by Doug Llewellyn as well as William Shatner, and then we have a number of other publications that we've done in Computers and Science and Engineering, as well as in IEEE conferences and um, and other other venues where we've presented this information before. So uh, from there, uh, I wanted to thank you uh, very much for Uh, viewing this uh, presentation. And uh, I hope uh, that you'll have a chance to be able to try out the Pooch MPI toolkit for Mathematica yourself and enable and harness the power of high performance computing within the Mathematica environment uh, for, for anything that you desire. So thank you very much for your attention. This is Dean Dowder. Good night.